Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have given us your word and we thank you that we are able to come here and to freely read it and uh, freely study it together. Father, I pray that you would soften our hearts to what you have to say. Uh, I pray that my words would be your words, Lord God. I pray that you would speak through me and I would say what you want me to say. In Jesus' name. So keep your Bibles open to Matthew 4, uh, verses 1 to 11. But also, if you want to put some sort of bookmark on Psalm 91, because we will get back to that for a little bit. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11 is going to be our main text for this morning. In the beginning, Adam and Eve lived in the perfect world. They had the most beautiful garden planted by God himself. They had no worries. They were all well-fed and they enjoyed an unbroken relationship with God. In the middle of this paradise, Satan came and tempted them. Satan came and he made them doubt the goodness of God. He made them question the plan of God for them. And he spread uncertainty over the word of God to them. They fell for his temptation. And because of this, sin entered the world. And temptation to sin became a regular part of our human life. Adam and Eve were promised that the day would come when God will send someone to defeat Satan, to conquer sin, and to overthrow death. Matthew, in his gospel, is declaring to us that this person is here. The king of glory who will set his people free is here. Emmanuel, God with us, is here. Jesus, the Messiah, the son of the living God, has arrived. The long-awaited Messiah, the son of David, the true king of Israel, is here. We read last time that he was baptized and God declared from heaven that this is his beloved son and in him he is well pleased. We saw the Holy Spirit descend on him and the Holy Spirit stayed with him because the Bible says that God has given him the Spirit without measure. God has given him the Spirit so that he may do the works that the Father has given him to do. So that in everything that Jesus does, the whole Trinity is at work. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what is the first thing that the Spirit leads him to do? Go to the desert to be tested by the devil. Jesus went to the desert to be tested, and the devil went to the desert to test or tempt Jesus. Both these events are God-orchestrated. Martin Luther once said that the devil is God's devil. He does what God commands him and allows him to do. So don't think that the devil went to test Jesus on his own. This was part of God's plan for the devil. See, Jesus had to be tested. If he is the second Adam, he had to be tested. The first Adam was living in the most perfect environment ever known to man, yet he failed the test. The second Adam, Jesus, he is being tested in the desert, in a place of loneliness 
a place of isolation, a place where there is no food, no water, and no human companionship. If Jesus is the real Messiah, the real Son of God, the true second Adam, he has to succeed in defeating the devil. If he accomplishes victory over sin, if he triumphs over temptation, if he is successful against the attacks of Satan, then he really is holy. He really is sovereign. He really is savior. He really is the king. And he really can rescue us sinners from the kingdom of darkness and bring us into his kingdom, the kingdom of light. How can he save us from Satan if he cannot defeat Satan himself? So Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. The Spirit led him to fast, and during those times he was being tempted. Matthew says that after the 40 days were finished, Jesus was hungry. 40 days, and then he's hungry. What a perfect situation for the tempter to come and tempt Jesus. He is hungry. He's feeling weak. And he comes to him, and only three of those temptations are recorded. And the first temptation is this. He says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Now, Satan here, he is not questioning the deity of Jesus Christ. He is not making Jesus question his deity neither. Satan and demons know that Jesus is the son of God, and there was no point in time where Jesus ever questioned who he was. So Satan basically was saying to Jesus, since you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread and eat. There's nothing wrong with a hungry man wanting to eat and satisfy his hunger. Jesus certainly could turn stones into bread and feed himself. That in itself is not sinful. Jesus made food after that, and he fed many hungry people. So what is Satan really saying here? Why is this considered to be a temptation if on the surface it doesn't seem to be so bad? What's so bad about Jesus eating if he's hungry? Let me tell you, and I'm sure you know, that most times the temptation to sin, the temptations that we face, seem harmless on the surface. However, they look different when we dig a bit deeper. Satan is saying to Jesus, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You deserve better than this. You are the Son of God. God declared that He is well pleased with you. And you are the Son whom He loves. And surely, He doesn't want you to be hungry. God wants you to be happy. He wants you to have all your needs met and satisfied. Why would God want you to be all alone in this desolate place with no food? Surely you remember the Old Testament? God fed the rebellious, stiff-necked Israelites in the desert with heavenly manna. And they were disobedient, defiant, rebellious bunch. 
Surely he wouldn't mind if you ate. After all, you are his son. Why would he treat rebellious people better than he would treat you, his one and only completely obedient, beloved son? You see, the point of the temptation is not feeding his hunger. The point of the temptation is distrusting his father, doubting the love of the father. That's the point of the first temptation. What Satan is saying to him is that it is inappropriate for the son of God to suffer. It isn't right for you as God's beloved son to suffer like this. This was a temptation to exercise personal, selfish authority to do what would satisfy his desires there and then, namely his hunger at that point in time. And by doing so, Jesus would have distrusted the love of the Father towards him. See, God sent him to the desert to fast. God wanted him to fast, and he's going to sustain him in that fast. Jesus needed to trust in God and his love towards him. And that's how Satan works. He makes you doubt God. He makes you doubt his love, his mercy, his grace. He wants you to grab immediate satisfaction. You deserve it. Just rebel. Disobey God. He probably doesn't love you as much as he says he does. If he did, you probably won't be in that situation you are in now. You deserve better than this. You are meant to be healthy, wealthy, and living the victorious life. I mean, look at all those sinners around you. They seem to have it better than you. Yet you are a Christian. You are a child of God. I tell you what, it's better to rebel. It's much more fun And there is more satisfaction in it. How does Jesus respond? He responds by quoting scripture. Now I want to tell you this. Jesus could have said anything and that would have been scripture. Right? Jesus is God. Whatever he says, if it's recorded, it's scripture. However, Jesus quoted the Old Testament scriptures. Because that is the revealed, written word of God. And is authoritative for all people at all time. Jesus submitted to these Old Testament scriptures. And we will see here that Satan has nothing to say against the revealed word of God. Jesus said to him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is directly quoting Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 3. And the context of that passage, this is a reminder to Israel of God's care for them during their wilderness wandering. You remember that they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years? And Jesus here is wandering in the desert for 40 days. In their wandering in the wilderness, they were reminded not to grab their own satisfaction but to trust in God. They were reminded that life consisted not in bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Israel in the desert was being taught 
that they needed to trust God and his love and his care for them. They needed to learn that the word of God is more important than life itself. They needed to learn that they are alive because God is keeping them alive, not because they are eating or because they have food. See, many people have plenty of food, yet they still die. It's not food that keeps us alive. It's God. Satan was telling Jesus that he needed to eat. Otherwise, he might die. He's hungry. 40 days, 40 nights. What are you doing? Jesus is saying his life is in God's hands. And he will continue to trust God and his words, even at the expense of his comfort, even at the expense of life itself. This is the first temptation. But the devil was not done. In the second temptation, Satan moves to a more sinister testing. Let's go ahead and read it. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan is quoting Psalm 91. This is part of a messianic psalm saying that the angels would protect the Messiah. This psalm says that God is going to make sure his angels are in charge of protecting the Messiah. They're going to lift him up and never even let him strike his foot on a stone. So Satan is saying, Jesus, if you trust God, why don't you let God prove his word to be true? You seem to trust his word. You say that you can trust him. Then why don't you put him to the test? You didn't want to help yourself and make bread and feed yourself. You say you trust God. Okay, then let God prove himself to be true to his word. Put him to the test. A very subtle temptation. But this temptation is even worse than the first one. Because this is the sin of presuming on God. This is the sin of testing God. Here the devil is asking Jesus to create a problem for himself to see if God will step in and help him out like his word promises that he would. See, in the first temptation, the hunger was real. Jesus was really hungry. Here, Satan is asking him to create a problem to test God, to see if God is actually true to his word. This is sinful. Just because God is true to his promises, we should not put him to the test. We cannot take God's goodness for granted. We cannot presume on his grace and on his mercy in our lives. But there's one thing that I'd like you to see here. In Psalm 91, the devil quotes verses 11 and 12. But if you have a look at verse 13, it says, You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. The devil is very good at misquoting the scriptures. You see, by quoting verses 11 and 12 and leaving out verse 13, the devil is basically misquoting and butchering that passage. 
See, verse 13 is a promise that the Messiah will defeat the great serpent, Satan. He will tread on him and trample him under his feet. The rest of that psalm is a promise that God will rescue the Messiah because the Messiah trusts in him, because Jesus the Messiah loves God. He says, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Don't listen to people who misquote the Bible. They are speaking the language of their father, the devil. People who tell you half-truth and ignore the rest of the word of God, they lead you astray with plausible theology. But when you look a bit deeper, you can see that these half-truths are nothing more than heresies and doctrines of demons. Jesus answered the devil once again by saying, It is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test So what does that mean? Didn't God promise to protect the Messiah? Yes, he did. But he also said that the Messiah would be obedient to him. Again, Psalm 91 says, because he loves me. How do we know that Jesus, the Messiah, loves God? Well, because he is obedient to his father. How do we know that we love God? Jesus said, if you love me, you would obey my commandments. God will rescue Jesus, and God does rescue Jesus. It may not look like he does at first. We all know that Jesus was rejected, he suffered, and he died. But that was all part of God's plan. And Jesus was obedient to that plan. Jesus would not presume on the goodness of God by putting him to the test. And neither should we. Again, please note in this temptation that the devil misquoted scripture to make a theological point. The devil is very good at doing this. And his agents in the world are just as good at doing this as well. Just because someone is quoting the Bible doesn't mean that what they are saying is biblically true. They could be quoting the Bible like the devil did to Jesus. This calls for discernment. So Jesus would not presume on the goodness of God. He would not put God to the test. He will continue to trust in him despite the situation. But see, Satan wasn't done. He came back with a third temptation. Jesus, you trust your father, do you? Okay, you will only do his will. Is that right? You will only go his way. You will trust in his promises. The devil now shows his real agenda. Says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Nothing subtle about that. 
This is the devil's ultimate desire. His desire is to be worshipped. That's what made him the devil in the first place. The first temptations were a subtle attempt to get Jesus to worship the devil. I'm going to say that again. The first two temptations were a subtle attempt by the devil to get Jesus to worship him. If Jesus disobeyed God, he'd be disobeying his father and he'd be serving and worshiping the devil. Obeying the devil is an act of worship. Sin in any form is an act of worship. Every time we sin, to a certain degree, we are worshiping Satan. Every time we sin, we are bowing down to him and doing his will. Satan here is showing his real, lying, proud self. See, he has a very high view of himself. He's saying, all the kingdoms of the world are mine. Well, he's a liar. That's a half-truth from a person who lies all the time. The kingdoms of the world are ultimately God's. We just finished doing a Bible study in Daniel. And if you go back to that Bible study, you see that the kingdoms of the world are God's. He puts there whoever he wants to put there. And he put away whoever he wants to put away. The kingdoms of the world are God's. The devil may have authority over the evil system of the world. However, that authority is a delegated authority until the time comes when Jesus comes back and takes over the world and his kingdoms and establishes his kingdom and gets rid of the devil and all of his agents. Even in this delegated authority, the devil can only do what God allows him to do. Again, to quote Martin Luther, the devil is God's devil. So what is it exactly that Satan is offering Jesus here? He certainly can't offer him the kingdoms of the world. And even if Jesus accepted, do you think the devil would give him the, the kingdoms of the world? What is it exactly that Satan is offering Jesus here? This is a complete deception. He's trying to offer him a crown without a cross. Jesus, you could have it all without the cross. Without the sin offering that you are going to be. Without the pain, without the rejection, without the suffering, without the full fury of the wrath of God poured out on you. You can have it all. Just worship me. And the devil says the same thing to us. You can have it all. Just compromise. You know what you want. You know what your fleshly desires are. You deserve it. You don't need to suffer by being obedient to God. Come on, did God really say? Why take the scorn for standing up for the truth? Just compromise. It's just a small thing. It's not really disobedience. No one really knows what that verse means. There are many interpretations. Why get everyone to hate you? You could be popular. And you could probably achieve more for God by being popular. Just don't be such a fundamentalist. Put some fun back into that fundamentalist. You will get what you want. You want more people at church? 
You'll get that. Just compromise. Take the easy road. You'll get the crown. Don't worry about the cross. Basically what Satan is saying, all you have to do to get it is just worship me. Again, all sin to a certain degree is an act of worship towards the devil. If you were worshiping God, you'd do his will. God says, you shall not. Satan says, take it. You deserve it. It will be better this way. If you obey the word, you've worshipped God. If you disobey the scriptures, you've worshipped Satan. Again here, Jesus answered him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6.13. And he says, it is written, the word of God is our weapon against the tricks of the devil. Jesus gives him a clear-cut answer. The Bible says we worship God and we serve him only. Please notice the connection between worship and service. You worship what you serve. We see an example for in Matthew 6.24. Jesus said, you can't serve both money and God. This could be said about anything else, that we may serve more than God. You worship what you serve, and you serve what you worship. In Luke, it says that after this, the devil left him until an opportune time. This is not mentioned in Matthew, but this is important for us to note, because that means that the devil didn't just give up there and then. The devil kept on tempting Jesus all through his life. He came back to try and get Jesus off his course many times after that. We are told that Peter rebuked Jesus when he was speaking about his imminent death and suffering on the cross. However, what did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. This was Satan in disguise. Again, tempting Jesus to disregard the path that God has for him. So what do we make of all of this? We will not be tempted to turn stones into bread because we can't. Satan is not going to come and ask you to do something that you can't do. He will tempt you in the realm of possibility. We will not be tempted to turn stones into bread. However... We will be tempted to distrust the love of God towards us. We may be in a situation where we cannot see how a loving God could allow us to go through what we are going through. However, we can learn from Jesus. We can learn from Jesus and continue to trust that God loves us because his word says that he does. And he will bring us home safely. We may not be tempted to throw ourselves off the temple and see if God would send his angels to catch us because we're not the Messiah. However, we can be tempted to believe false theologies that promise us things that sound biblical, but they are not. We could be tempted to presume on the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God and follow after people who say that we need to do away with the Bible or parts of the Bible because we are now under grace. 
However, the Bible is very clear. We cannot rely on God's promises without being obedient to his commandments. And we should not presume on his grace. Do not presume on the grace of God. Do not put him to the test. Maybe the temptation of ruling the world is not something that could make us worship Satan. But Satan in that temptation is telling Jesus that he could have a crown without a cross. Are we buying into that lie? Or do we believe the words of Jesus when he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Or when he said, small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only few find it. Are we believing Jesus or are we believing the lie? Are we serving God or ourselves? God will not be mocked. Don't believe the lies. Trust in his revealed word. The word of God is our weapon against the devil and his temptations. Know the word because the devil knows it quite well and he's willing and ready to use it to lead people astray and make us disobey God. The Holy Spirit is in us and he will eliminate the scriptures to us. Let us be teachable. Don't be unteachable because most times the Holy Spirit uses people, good Bible teachers, to eliminate the scriptures to us. The call for us is to be wise and discerning, knowing that even the devil can sound convincing when quoting the scriptures. Keep trusting in God because he will bring you home safely. Amen.